As Willow Park uh, Network of Churches, we are jumping into the gospel, the book of Mark uh, for the next uh, quite a while. And so I encourage you, I think some of you are likely doing that. You are reading through that gospel with us, that you are spending some time in that uh, great, great book. And chapter one, which we're going to take a look at today, talks about, in many ways, uh, this idea that Jesus has authority over all things. And the first song that we sang, I think it was the first one, maybe it was the second one. I realized that first song only about half the people at our church ever hear. But it talked about our God is greater, our God is higher, he is above all things. And I think as a church, that's one of the incredible truths that we rest in as children of God. That incredible comfort and assurance that comes from knowing that our God is above all things. The Gospel of Mark, I think, was written as a reminder to the early church and continues to be words inspired by God himself that serve as a reminder to us today that Jesus was in fact God among us. That's who he was. That is why we bow down to him. That is why we confess our sins and our weaknesses to him. That is why we believe in him and say, God, it's my heart's desire to follow after you because you are God. And from him and through him, we receive forgiveness. We receive peace. We receive confidence. We receive strength because God calls us. God calls those who choose to believe in him and in his son Jesus. He calls us his children. And we are heirs to a great inheritance And as I look at Mark, it's like a reminder to us to remember all authority has been given to Jesus. And throughout the book of Mark, Mark's stories, his, his accounts of the life of Jesus simply give evidence to that truth. And so as we look at the book of Mark or the gospel of Mark, the good news of Mark, I ask the question, are we willing to both submit to Jesus and are we willing to simply embrace him and allow him to be what I would call the functional Lord of our lives? 
that Jesus, my heart's desire is to truly follow after you. Mark begins his account by introducing us to a very unique man, John the Baptist. I think John the Baptist would have been a man who would have done extremely well as a contestant in reality shows such as Alone, Survival, Man versus Wild. John the Baptist, it says, lived in the wilderness. He ate what he could find. And apparently, two of the things he found were locusts and wild honey. His clothing was crude, to say the least. But he was a spiritual teacher. There was something about this man who you might think many people would have chosen to avoid that actually drew people. They came to hear, to listen to John the Baptist. And he preached a message, it says, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he preached a message of what I will call preparation. There is someone coming after me. I am not even worthy to tie his laces, but you need to pay attention to him. And John says, I baptize you with water. He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. John would say, my baptism is about the need for cleansing. Jesus is going to come, and his baptism is about regeneration. The baptism of Jesus is about becoming truly a new creation. And when we talk about this word being born again, that's really what we're talking about. About becoming new creations in and through Christ Jesus. And John says, that's the man you need to pay attention to. And Jesus shows up to be baptized. Not only the crowds, not only even says some of the religious leaders who in other gospels, John has some very harsh words for them because he says, yeah, you're religious leaders, but your heart is so far from repentance. But Jesus shows up to be baptized by John. And people ask the question, well, why would Jesus need to be baptized? If John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, uh, Jesus surely had nothing for which to repent. And I 100% believe that. But I see Jesus' baptism in two kind of ways. One is, I believe the baptism of Jesus is an example for us to follow. Secondly, I believe the baptism of Jesus was actually a baptism of what I will call revelation. We know that when Jesus was baptized by John, a voice, it says, came out of heaven 
And it said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. I see it as God's declaration to the world. This is not just another in a long line of prophets who they would have been accustomed to. This is not another simply great teacher. This is my son. He will be your redeemer. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. Pay attention to him. All of Mark, when you, when you read it, to me it's like pay attention to Jesus. He has authority over all things and he is our Lord and Savior. Mark goes from that account to a short account of what we call the temptation of Jesus. Where Jesus goes into the wilderness. I want to say it's part of the Bible that we probably don't even remotely truly understand the significance of that. It wasn't an event. I think he spent 40 days there. His temptation was an attempt by the enemy of our soul to thwart God's plan and say to Jesus, I can give you a way of opting out of what is in before you. I can give you a way of escaping the shame, the punishment, death that God has called you to be obedient to. And as we know, Jesus says you do not tempt the Lord. It says Jesus was ministered to by angels. I'm so Curious at times about what that would have been like. And it says he was out there with the wild animals. Now I don't know whether the wild animals would have seen him as the son of God and actually posed no threat, but it says Jesus was ministered to by angels. As I think about that and I think about other things that happen within this story, even in the first chapter, Mark makes it so abundantly clear that a spiritual reality, a spiritual realm exists all around us. The reality of the angelic, the reality of the demonic, the reality of that which is dark, controlling, and at times frightening, and the reality of that which can give light, life, and freedom. The reality of good, the reality of evil. And Mark, I just think, says to us, you know, that kingdom exists. And I think in a very real way, we, we sort of understand to some degree that that reality exists, but I think we only 
know in part. And at times I think we dabble a little bit too closely on the edges of that which is dark, not wholesome, not for our benefit. Philippians 4 verse 8 says this, and I think he's saying this because, you know what, we are in a spiritual battle. And he says, fix your thoughts on what is true. Fix your thoughts on what is honorable, right, pure, lovely, admirable. Think about things that are excellent and worthy of praise. Park your mind there. Maybe evaluate what you see, what you choose to watch in light of that verse. And if you would ask God, well, why, why are all my thoughts supposed to be there? I would say because God inhabits and the Spirit of God inhabits those things. Things that are true, things that are honorable, things that are right, things that are pure, things that are lovely. The Spirit of God inhabits those things. In Mark, we will see, we will read over and over again the power and authority that Jesus held and that Jesus exercised in that spiritual realm. And one of the things that absolutely jumps out at me is that in that heavenly realm, in that realm of things unseen, everybody in that realm knows exactly who Jesus is. There's no question in that realm about who Jesus is. I want to read a, a fairly large section from Mark chapter 1, verses 21 to 28. I think it's on the screen. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. And when the Sabbath day came, he, Jesus, went into the synagogue and began to teach. We sometimes get fascinated by the miracles that Jesus performed. I think we need to take at least that much enthusiasm and interest into the things that Jesus said. That so often Jesus' purpose is to teach. He's telling us something about life, about God, about himself. And so he's in the synagogue and he's teaching and the people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority quite unlike the teachers of religious law, which seems like a bit of a shame. And suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit began shouting, Why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are. You're the Holy One of God. And Jesus cut him short and said, 
Be quiet, come out of the man, he ordered, and at that the evil spirit screamed, threw the man into a convulsion, and then came out of him. Amazement gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this? They asked excitedly. It has such authority, even evil spirits obey his orders. And the news about Jesus spread quickly throughout the entire region of Galilee. In the spiritual realm, Jesus reigns supreme. The forces of evil know who he is, they fear him, and they obey him. And it's almost as if Jesus within that service, within the synagogue, is saying, your real enemy is not Rome. Your real enemy lies within a spiritual realm. And in that realm, Jesus has been victorious. And in that realm, Jesus has all authority. As a child of God, I find that such a source of comfort such a source of strength. That's who our God is. That's who our Savior is. Mark wraps up chapter 1 with examples of Jesus healing and examples of Jesus exercising demons. And in Mark it says, as a result, crowds began to follow him, bringing with him those who were physically sick and those who were tormented by evil, and he healed many who were sick and cast out many demons. If I had lived at that time, and if I had had a family member in desperate need of healing, I would have been there. If it was close, I would have been there. I would have lined up. Because not only did Jesus have authority in the spiritual realm, that realm that we only to a, a small degree understand, Jesus had power within this realm. He could heal people. He could heal people of diseases that doctors had no idea what to do with. And the touch of Jesus would heal them. So I likely would have been in that lineup hoping that Jesus would heal my family member. But I want to say this to us as a church. I think we need to think about these accounts and we need to read them carefully. These things were written so that people would know that Jesus is the Son of the living God. These miracles, these signs, these wonders were living proof to what God had already said, even at the baptism of Jesus, this is my Son. Listen to him. And this is what I want to say. Follow him. Not because he will guarantee you healing. 
follow him, not because his path will necessarily make all of life easy. Follow him because he is the way, he is the truth, he is the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. If you follow him, whether you are physically healed or not, as children of God, we will be ushered into the presence of God as sons, as daughters. If we persevere, we will inherit an inheritance that is eternal. So while we read these and marvel at them, I want to challenge us, focus on the miracle worker. Read the miracles, focus on the miracle worker, and ask yourself the question, am I willing to follow him? In this chapter, Jesus begins to gather around him a group of men. I do not know what qualities these men possessed or whether that was even relevant. We see them as ordinary men, fishermen, who exchanged, you might say, coaxing fish into a net for a venture in which they would draw people into the kingdom of God. Those ordinary, as Peter and John, the crowd saw them as ordinary, untrained, uneducated men. But it says they knew that they had been with Jesus. And Jesus had given them to power to do similar things to what Jesus had done. And so these unqualified men, you might say, became the first representatives, first ambassadors for this kingdom that Jesus speaks about in the Gospels, a kingdom that's not of this world. They became evangelists. Jesus gave them authority to perform signs and wonders. They became leaders of the early church, as fishermen did. And we need to know also that they became martyrs. Most of them died, some of them horrible deaths, for the sake of this gospel, for the sake of Jesus Christ. And as I thought about that the last week or so, I was kind of struck by the authority of Jesus' call on these men's lives. The account kind of says they dropped everything they were doing and simply followed him. In none of the gospel does it say, you know, they said, Jesus, let, I'd like to think about this for a while. Could you give me more information? If I follow you, will it end well for me? Didn't ask those questions. They simply followed Jesus. There are even today, I want to say within Creekside Church, people 
doing things, people stepping into things that they would never have imagined doing. People who might have said, eh, you know what, I don't think I'm qualified for that. People who might say, oh, I'm a bit afraid of that. But in spite of that, people who have stepped up and said, Jesus, count me in within your church. And God is using people within his church who probably would have said, I had no idea that this is where God would put me or this is how God would use me. So I ask the question, what does it mean for us to submit to the authority of God's call on our own lives? What does that look like? So I ask you simply to listen to the voice of God speaking into your heart, into your life, and ask, are you willing to obey that voice? Mark writes this gospel inspired by the Spirit of God. In order to encourage the church, and I think in order to remind the church, Mark wrote this probably 20 years at least after Jesus' death and resurrection. So many of the people Mark would have been writing to or speaking with would have never seen Jesus, never met Jesus. But they would have become children of God. And Mark is saying to them, read this. And it's a message that Jesus proclaimed, it says, from village to village, from town to town. And as I look at chapter 1, all of it speaks to me of simply identifying this is who Jesus is. He's the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He was anointed by God himself who said, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. He taught with a level of authority that people who listen said, I have not heard that before. But it's because he's the author. The Bible says that he is the author and he is the finisher of our faith. He healed the sick and he freed the tormented. And as we read through Mark, he asks people to consider a reality of a kingdom that's not of this world, and a challenge to people, do you want to be part of that? And so as a church, uh, I think we need to read, I think we need to reread this gospel as a simple reminder to us of the power of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And ask ourselves, how, how willingly have I given my life to him? For him to use I want to close with a, a passage from Colossians. Colossians 1, verse 15 to 20. Uh, it's Paul making a statement about Jesus. It, it's fairly long. It's quite powerful. He says, Jesus is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created, and he is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, 
kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. People listening to Paul might have said to him, hmm, that's quite a statement. We can read that and think about it as sort of a statement of doctrine. This is what we believe. And they might rightly ask the question, what evidence do you have to say all that? And I think Paul and Mark and the other apostles and teachers would say, read this. Read the Gospel of Mark. Read about Jesus, about what he did. And take it from doctrine to being something that you hold dearly like a precious pearl. So I just invite us and challenge us as a church to, uh, to jump into the gospel of Mark and to be reminded of how great our God is. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you uh, for the word that you have given us. Father, I want to thank you that your word is living, it is active, it speaks to the very heart of those who are willing to listen. It speaks truth about who we are, Father, and it speaks truth about who you are. Father, may we embrace with all our heart Jesus as Lord and Savior. May we simply say thanks to him this morning again for how great a self made for us that we can be called children of God. And for all of this, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.